Right, God is good. And all the time. Yeah, we're in Genesis 40 for just a few moments this morning before we take communion. Is this too loud? I'm gonna let's turn that down just a tad there. I'll talk loud. Um, good thing we voted in the new sound equipment coming soon, and that'll be good to have. Thank you so much for reading this story in Genesis 40 for us, Hannah. Have we all heard this story? This episode in Joseph's story where he interprets the dreams. Has anybody heard this story? Did anybody hear this story as a, as a kid? Anybody hear the story as a kid? Yeah. It's a weird one to put in the kids' Bibles, but they kind of do. And it uh, always kind of traumatized me because it's not a real happy ending, at least in chapter 40, especially for the baker. Uh, but even for Joseph, at least for now, it's not a real happy ending. But one reason I like this story now that I'm an adult is it's a true story and it's a simple story that acts as a great big mirror for us to look into and to see what's off with us. You know, James, the half-brother of Jesus, said that the word of God is like a mirror. You guys know this verse? It's like a looking glass. It's like a mirror, and you look into the word of God like you do a mirror, and you see something off so that you can fix it, right? Just like when you look in the mirror and you see your, your hair's not doing what you want it to do, and you go and you, you know, you use that, uh, whatever that stuff is, a product, right? Uh, some of you, lots of product, maybe a little product, whatever, okay? You put that in there and you fix it up. We do that same thing with the Word of God. We look in and we see what's off with us, and we fix that. We change that. We repent and we obey. And this story is a good mirror for us to look into. And it's this awesome reminder. Uh, I guess I say it's an awesome reminder. It is a reminder that it's kind of a tough reminder, to be honest, that we many times are just like that cupbearer, the butler, and that we forget the one who has given us good news. We forget the one that has delivered us a message of deliverance. And we need to remember, we need to remember the good news that Jesus himself has given us, like he should have remembered Joseph. So what happens in verses one through three is that the butler and the baker both offend the king, the pharaoh, we do not know what they did to offend him. Uh, they both work in the food department. Perhaps they embarrassed him at a dinner. Uh, perhaps the baker was like a bad waiter at Olive Garden. He didn't bring enough breadsticks. Uh, the butler, which is, okay, let me explain that. Butler, same thing as cup bearer. Ancient culture, the cup bearer would have been in charge of the wine, and he would actually take sips of the wine before he served it to pharaoh, uh, just to make sure it wasn't poisoned. You say, how do you know it wasn't poisoned? If he didn't die. How do you know if it was poisoned, cupbearer? I died. That's a, that's a high-risk job, right? The workers comp on that. The life, the life insurance should be through the roof. The, the benefits should be high. You think that Pharaoh would love his cupbearer for saving his life week after week, but I don't know. Maybe he took too long of a sip, and he did something to offend Pharaoh. Right? 
He got on his bad side, so Pharaoh tossed him into a bad place, the prison. And it just so happens that it is the same prison Joseph was thrown into after he was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife in the last chapter. And I say it just so happened, but I don't mean that it was a coincidence. I mean, it just so happened according to God's will. I mean, look at verse four. It says, and the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them and served them. But really, it was the almighty God who placed these men in the same prison block Joseph was in. You see, just like our stories, with Joseph's story, you can see the hand of God through all of his ups and downs. In fact, his story is an amazing study in providence. Everybody say providence. Providence. All right, a little louder this time. Everybody say sovereignty. The providence and the sovereignty of God are moving behind the scenes in his story and in our story. All of our ups and downs are touched by the hand of God. They are filtered through the hands of God to happen just so. Eventually, this will be the way that Joseph escapes prison, gets into the palace and saves a whole bunch of people, including his own family, from starving to death. This is all orchestrated by God that these two men are in this cell block at this time and they both have a strange dream on the same night. Again, God's hand of providence, his sovereignty behind it all. Look at it in verse five and six. It says, the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt who were confined in the prison had a dream. Both of them, each man's dream in one night and each man's dream with its own interpretation. And Joseph came in to them in the morning and looked at them and he saw that they were sad. So they both have dreams on the same night and they're really confused and they're really perplexed by them. It freaked them out. Most of the time we can't even remember our dreams, can we? Sometimes that's a good thing and sometimes we wish we could keep that dream going, don't you? You're like, fall back asleep. I want to see how that ends. I don't know if you've ever had that. In this culture in Egypt, if you had a dream that you could remember, It was supposedly the gods speaking to you. They had many false gods in their religion and religions. And this is how the false gods spoke to you. They gave you a dream. But you needed an interpreter for that dream. Um, In the next chapter, Pharaoh, for example, will have some dreams. And he's going to have to go to what the Bible calls magicians and wise men to get an interpretation for that dream, though they won't be able to come up with one. In this culture, the gods spoke to you through the dreams. They didn't really give you the interpretation. You had to find the interpretation. Someone would interpret it for you, and that's how you heard from your gods. But these two are in prison, so they're not actually able to go out and find a magician or a wise man and get an interpreter, and they can't help each other interpret the dreams. So they're very discouraged. They're very upset. They don't know what these dreams mean. Joseph comes in in the morning. He can see the distress on their faces, and he asks them about it. Look at verse 7. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with them in the custody of the Lord's, his Lord's house, saying, why do you look so sad today? Now, there is some insight into Joseph's personality. We've had some insight into Joseph's character, haven't we? Where we see in chapter, for example, 37, that he tells the truth. And in chapter 39, he's got some integrity and he um, works hard no matter where he is. But here we see some of his 
personality, and that Joseph is a caring person. He cares about these people that nobody else cares about deep within the prison. If you could be anything when you grow up, be a caring person. Care about, think about, inquire about somebody else. This is what Joseph was like. He's a caring guy. And apparently, he's pretty cheery in the morning, right? He comes in in the morning. Why are you guys looking sad? How many of you hate people who are cheery in the morning? How many of you hate those people? Now, how many of you are those people cheery in the morning? Okay, yeah. Garrett, that's no surprise. Um, I'm actually pretty talkative in the mornings. My wife is a little less talkative in the mornings. We'll put it that way. Um, And I have no doubt that Joanna loves me with all her heart, except for in the mornings. Um, Because I tend to be a cheery person in the mornings compared, I mean, pretty cheery. Um, So anyway, before I get in trouble, let's move on. Joseph, he wakes up, he's going about his duties. He looks at these two prisoners. No one else cares about them. He cares about them. And he says, let's turn that frown upside down. Joseph is a caring guy. And let's not forget that Joseph is pointing us to someone who was to come. That Joseph's life, in theology, we call it, it was a type of Christ's life, which meant that everything in Joseph's story foreshadowed the coming life of Jesus. Right? So Joseph's story is his own story. It's a true story. It's not a metaphor. It's a reality. Right? It's inspired. It's infallible. This is what happened. But there's this other thing at play to where Joseph in the scriptures, under the inspiration of the Spirit, when the canon is completed, is showing us and showing the ancient Israelites at the time what the Messiah, what Jesus would eventually be like in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Joseph is quite literally one of our first glimpses of Jesus, and Jesus is the most caring person to ever live. Jesus cares about You cast all your care on him. Why? For he cares. Who cares? Jesus is a caring Savior. Joseph is a type of the caring Christ. He's a type of Christ in multiple ways. We've seen this. He's the covenant son, blessed and beloved by his father. That was noted by the coat of many colors. He's abused by his own brothers, the same way Jesus would be abused by his fellow Israelites. Joseph is in the midst of the presence and the blessing of God so that everything Joseph does succeeds, just like Jesus would succeed. And today we see him as a type of foreshadowing of Jesus and that he cares enough to deliver a message from God to people who need it, to people who are downtrodden. Like Jesus, he delivers some good news and some bad news. Let's watch it play out. He asked them, why are you guys sad? Here's what they say, verse 8. We have had a dream, and there is no interpreter of it. So Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God. Tell them to me, please. Right, so this is caring and this is kind. And uh, one thing that's kind of cool is that this is 
a phenomenon to the original audience and to the butler and to the baker. I mean, he is preaching some, some very new and different ideas than they would have had. Remember, they believe that these dreams are from the gods, plural. And here Joseph says that the interpretation belongs to one God, one true God. He is preaching monotheism, singular. They believe interpretations belong to the interpreter. Joseph saying, we have one God, and he actually gives us the dream and the interpretation as well. So Joseph, it's kind of cool to see him preaching, essentially inspiration, a one true God with one true word straight from him. Now, in this day and age, it is very rare, though not 100% impossible or, or unheard of, that God speaks to us through our dreams. Some of our dreams are not God, okay? They are chili. They are Pizza Hut. They are too much ice cream. They are whatever, right? There's not God, okay? Sometimes, perhaps, it is possible that God could speak to us through a dream and an interpretation. Today, we still have inspiration in that the way that God speaks to us is through the 66 books, the Old and the New Testament, the scriptures, but he's been a communicating God ever since the beginning of uh, the world, ever since the book of beginnings, ever since Genesis. And it's just kind of cool to see Joseph saying in this short sentence, so hey, it's monotheism, there's one God, and there's inspiration. He's got a word for us. So he says, tell me the dream. Verse nine, the chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said, behold, in my dream, a vine was before me. And in the vine were three branches. It was as though it budded, it blossomed and shot forth and its clusters brought forth ripe grapes. Uh, then it says, the, then Pharaoh's cup was in my hand. And I took the grapes and pressed them into the cup. And I placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Okay, so this is very pre-COVID. Uh, lots of hands, lots of cups, lots of passing. Verse 12, Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Now within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your place. And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand hand according to the former manner when you were his butler. So the interpretation is favorable. It's a strange dream, but it means you're going to be saved. He gives him a good word and all he asks in return is a good word. Look at verse 14 and 15. But remember me, Joseph says, when it's well with you, right? You're going to be restored. You're going back to your old job. Please show kindness to me. Make mention of me to Pharaoh. Get me out of this house. Verse 15, for indeed I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews, and also I have done nothing that they should put me into the dungeon. We've seen some insight to his personality. He's caring. And here we see some insight into Joseph's humanity. You see, Joseph... None of his sin is recorded in his story. Though he wasn't sinless, there's no sin recorded in the scriptures of him. And there was nothing recorded that he did this wrong or he made this mistake. Sometimes he almost doesn't seem human, right? Like he has not complained at all. He has not been bitter towards others or towards the Lord. He's worked hard no matter where he is, and one could perhaps mistakenly believe that he's so holy, he doesn't care where he is. He doesn't mind where he is, but he does. Right? He looks at the cupbearer, and he's like, get me out of here. And that's totally normal. 
He tells them about the slave traders. They say they bought him. He's like, no, they stole me. And that's totally correct. It's just a good word on humanity. I feel like sometimes we think God requires us to be so content that he wants us to resign to just living in every kind of pain. But it's okay as a human being to be in pain and once in a while say, I need help. Get me out of here. Right? Like I feel like sometimes we think God requires us to be so humble that we're like a doormat and we never are honest about the people who have wronged us. But it's okay to say, I did not deserve to be put in this dungeon. I do not deserve what's been done to me. It is human to try to get to a better place. It is okay to reach out for some help and for some justice. So there's a good interpretation for the cupbearer. Joseph asks, hey, put in a good word for me. And now the baker wants to try his luck. Look at verse 16. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good, okay, so now he's on board. He said, Joseph, I also had a dream, and there were three white baskets on my head. In the uppermost basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, and the birds ate them out of the basket on my head. So Joseph answered and said, this is the interpretation of it. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head, that is much different than lifting up your head, okay, that he said to the uh, butler, and he will hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat your flesh from you. Bummer! I mean, how would you like to pull out that fortune cookie, right? Like, what are you, like, this is heavy, but this is some fire and brimstone preaching. This is Friday night at Christian camp right here. Right? Put your stick in the fire, Baker. Right? This is some bad news. Now, one thing that's kind of interesting about this bad news and what about this story and this part of the story is it kind of stops. The conversation is no longer uh, going, ongoing. It's not recorded how the conversation goes after this or how it ends. We do not really get any more insight into the conversations that they might have had in the prison block. Do they ask Joseph for more information on monotheism or inspiration? Do they believe Joseph? We don't know. We know they should have believed Joseph because was Joseph right? Was his message true? Let's find out. Verse 20 through 22. Now it came to pass on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all his servants. And he lifted up the head of the chief butler and the chief baker among his servants. And then he restored the chief butler to his butlership again. And he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted them to them. So yes, Joseph was right. He was a truth teller, just as Jesus would one day be the truth. He was able to speak words straight from God, just as Jesus would one day speak whatever he heard from the Father. Whether that was good news or bad news. So let's break this down a little bit and look for some application. One guy gets good news. The other guy gets bad news. Let's deal with the baker who gets the bad news first. He receives a message of death. And it's interesting, like we said, we don't get any word of him believing Joseph or reacting to Joseph. 
Right? Joseph tells him straight up, there's bad news for you. And Joseph isn't claiming, hey, this is an opinion. This is an educated guess. No, he's saying this is a word from the one true God. And yet the baker doesn't seem to do anything at all to avoid it. Right? We don't see him running. We don't see him escaping. We don't see him begging for his life. We don't see him even asking if there's any way to reverse his fate. You say, what is up with that? I'm not sure. Perhaps he couldn't imagine that Pharaoh would get him out of jail, have him bake his birthday cake, and then hang him. That is kind of messed up, right? Who kills someone on their birthday? Hey, welcome. Pin the nail on the baker, right? Maybe he didn't think that was ever going to happen. It couldn't be that one would be restored and one would die. Or maybe he didn't believe Joseph. After all, he is in Egypt. He perhaps had the religion of the Egyptians. Monotheism to him seemed crazy. How could he believe a Hebrew who has only one God and he simply didn't have faith? Like I said, we don't know. But I will tell you this. This is a story that plays out over and over and over again to this day. Remember, Joseph points us to Jesus. Did you know that Jesus Christ delivered some bad news? Did you know that? He talked about judgment. He said, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish He talked about a place called hell. He used the garbage dump outside of the city, a place called Gehenna, as his chief illustration of what it would look like for those eternally separated from God. He talked about a second coming that for many would come with great tribulation. And yet so many people in Jesus' day and so many people today don't do anything about the message of death God himself has delivered them. There are a lot of people who have heard of heaven and hell and have never looked into it in any meaningful way. There are a lot of people who have heard that God raised Jesus from the dead and they have heard that if you believe, you will follow suit and be raised from the dead one day for eternal life in a new heaven and a new earth and they have never looked into the validity of such a claim even though the tallest mountain we have on earth is the mountain of evidence for a resurrected Jesus. And yet they do nothing about this message that they have received. Do not be one of those people Do not wait to see if this is all real. Do not wait to see if Jesus is true. Do not think that you've got plenty of time to investigate this message. Investigate it now. Hear this message. And don't go about business as normal, but repent and believe, and you will not perish, but have everlasting life. Amen? Believe. The baker receives bad news, and it feels like He needs a stronger reaction. Now let's talk about us. Christians, we're a lot like the cupbearer. He receives good news, and it feels like he needs a stronger reaction. The cupbearer doesn't get a message of death, but rather he gets a message of deliverance. He deserves the same fate as the baker. They both offended the king, yet the butler will receive grace. 
The only thing Jesus asks as he delivers to him this great news is to remember him. All, all Joseph asks after delivering this message of deliverance is remember me. And about 2,000 years later, Jesus asks of us the same thing. Jesus gives us a message of deliverance. He gives us some good news. He gives us favor. And he says, remember me. Luke 22, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant, the new testament in my blood, which is shed for you. He took bread, he gave thanks and break it. He gave it to them saying, this is my body broken for you. This is great news. Jesus came to die for us, to give us grace, to restore us like he did that butler. And what does Jesus ask? This do in remembrance of me. Remember me. Yet we're much like that cupbearer. Did he remember Joseph? No. Look at verse 23. Yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Do you ever forget about Jesus? Do you ever forget the one who delivered you that message, that good news? Do you ever forget the good news that he has delivered you? I do. When I battle with my anxiety, I do. I forget all the good things that I have in my life. I forget all the good news that's been delivered to me, and I forget the one who gave me the good news. Perhaps you do when you battle your depression. All of a sudden, you can't remember that Jesus is preparing a place for you. All of a sudden, you can't remember that you are going to live forever without any depression. All, I mean, it, it, not that depression isn't legitimate, and there are medical versions of depression that are different, but I'm talking about our situational depression more, our bummers. Right? In those moments, right, we forget that there is good news, that we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, that we're part of an eternal body, a church that will last forever. Perhaps in your grief and in your sadness, you forget that you have so much good news to hang on to. And like the cupbearer, you've offended the king. You were in the pit, but the word of God has come to you and restored you to your king and days go by without you thinking about that at all. You know when else we do this? It's not just in our anxiety, our depression, our grief, our sadness. We do this when we're relieved. We do this when we're celebrating, when everything is totally fine. In fact, you might remember this story in Luke 17 where Jesus is going to Jerusalem and on his way, a small colony of lepers comes to him from a distance. They're all fallen apart. They're outcasts from society. They've been cast out of the village because they have the disease of leprosy. And they say, have pity on us. Have pity on us. Which is still a great prayer for us today. Jesus, have pity on me. And he has pity because he cares. He's a caring person. And he says, go, show yourself to the priest. So they run to the synagogue. On the way to the synagogue, they're cleansed of that leprosy. There was 10 of them. Nine of them were Israelites. One is a Samaritan. Only one of them, the Samaritan, after going to the synagogue, being cleansed by the priest, cleansed of leprosy, cleansed by Jesus, only one of them, only that one Samaritan leper runs back to the road, tracks down Jesus. The Bible says he falls at his feet. He remembers him. He thanks him. And Jesus says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. 
Now, where were the other nine? Anxious, depressed? No, they were celebrating, relieved. You see, we can easily forget the good news when we're having a good time. In fact, that's the context of the story of the butler. He doesn't forget Joseph because he's depressed. He forgets Joseph because he's elated. Not because he's struggling, because he's celebrating. He's back at his job. Everything's back to normal. He is not outside, hung on a tree like the baker. God rest his soul. Right? He's fine. And so he forgets. When we're fine, we often forget the good news that Jesus has delivered us. Are we doing the same thing, right? Remember, this passage is a mirror. What's the mirror of Genesis 40 telling us we need to do? We need to remember the good news and the one who gave it to us, Jesus Christ. How do we do that? Well, from what I understand in the Hebrew, the word remember, the opposite is dismember. Dismember, like to take apart. And remember is literally putting it back together in your heart, in your head. So we've talked actually about this in a recent sermon, but so many things, like we mentioned, anxiety, depression, sin, our our guilt, our shame, dismembers the good news from us. Things like celebration and happiness and ease dismembers. It takes apart the good news from our hearts momentarily. And we have to learn how to discipline ourselves to remember, to put back together the good news in our hearts day by day. One simple way I like to do this is with a gratitude journal. Um, I actually brought mine with me. It's real small. It's a moleskin. And... um, I've been writing in this every day of 2022. You could also do this in the CBR journal under the heading of thankfulness. But yeah, I just get up, I sit in my chair, and I write a few things down that I'm thankful for. Everything from Alden's hilarious laugh to Vision Sunday going pretty well, the new headphones I got for Christmas, how hilarious Marin is, my wife's support, and the good news that I've been restored. In my gratitude journal, or in your CBR journal, that's one way we remember the good news for our souls. We remember the good news for our hearts. We remember the good news as worship to Jesus, that we've been restored by the blood of Jesus, that we drink his cup of grace because he drank the cup of wrath. We remember it. When I do the gratitude journal, I am putting that back together for myself, the good news that Jesus has given me. So here's a question. What about you? How are you remembering the good news? How are you constantly, continually remembering the good news Jesus has given you? Don't be the butler. Don't be like nine out of ten lepers who never remember the one who gave them a message of deliverance. We need to remember, remember, remember the good news that Jesus has given us. Don't just praise God for it once, but praise him for salvation over and over and over again, like the Israelites did with those ancient festivals of the law. Every year with the Passover, 
Now, we're not under the letter of the law, but let us not forget the spirit of the law. For when they did those ancient festivals of the law, like that Passover, every year they are remembering. They are putting back together the good news that God parted the Red Sea and brought them through on dry ground and restored their nation and freed them from slavery. They are remembering that meal. That meal is remembering the good news. Man, I wish we had a meal like that. Oh, wait, we do. In fact, we have that same meal, but with a whole new meaning. We have been saved from slavery. Just a different kind. Our slavery to sin. And this meal is called communion or the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper is one way we as a church, as a body, remember the good news of Jesus. In fact, this is why Jesus gave us this sacrament of communion. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. 26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So you don't forget. So you don't forget that you are loved. So that you don't forget that you are forgiven for all of it. So that you don't forget that you are justified, declared not guilty. So that you don't forget that the victory has been won. So that you don't forget the crown of thorns or the cat of nine tails. Or how he shed his precious blood with us on his mind. So that you don't forget that the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. You don't forget that there was a body broken in your place so that your body could be glorified that you don't forget that blood was shed for your ransom so that you don't forget that there is one mediating for you right now before the Father, that you don't forget that one is returning for you, the one who is returning for you. So you don't forget the message or the messenger of deliverance. We remember the good news through communion because he deserves us to remember. Joseph did. Jesus does all the more. Joseph was forgotten. He didn't deserve that. The butler, the cupbearer, forgets him for two years. In chapter 41, you'll see finally, he's like, oh, yeah. Back when I was in prison, sorry, king, for whatever it is I did, there was a guy who delivered some good news. It will come his way, but for now, he is forgotten. He's going to be forgotten for two Years. That cupbearer is going to forget for two years. I don't want you, my lovely, lovely, blessed congregation, my people, who I love with all my heart, I don't want you to forget the gospel for two days. You need the gospel with every breath. Amen? Every breath. It is our life. Two days forgetting the gospel could be a tragedy. I want you to remember it over and over and over again. And there's a lot of ways you've got to figure out how to do that in your own time. But there is one way we do that as a church, is that is through communion. And so today we're going to do communion the way we used to do it. We are done with the prepackaged COVID-friendly cups, which is a uh, praise, not a prayer request. And I like passing the plates of communion because it reminds us that we're coming to the Lord's table with him together and that we are partaking of his flesh and blood, partaking of his grace.
honoring him together. And so the ushers can go ahead and come up. Andrew can come up to play.